as we welcome into the program from ESPN.com, Alex Scarborough. Alex, good afternoon. Thanks for your time today. Oh, my pleasure. Hope you're well. Let, before we dive into the article itself, I, I want to get your, your just your impressions on the, the transfer portal. Is it working the way it was designed to work? Is this the way we should be going with collegiate athletics? Oh, man, those are two very difficult questions and very loaded questions to answer. I don't think it's working the way that an idealist might think it would have worked because I think the goal was to create a framework in which transfers can happen in an above-board basis where players can change schools and there's a sort of uh, rules and regulations and a formality to it. And that's all well and good, but I think for the elite players, it has turned into something else, which is a formality. <laughs> it's, you know, it, after talking to coaches about this tampering issue in depth, it's an understanding that if you're waiting to start recruiting a guy once he's hit the portal, you're too late. So in some instances, uh, yes, the portal's doing exactly what they wanted. In other instances, it's sort of a thing that's being bypassed in order to start that process and bring in top-level talent. As far as whether it's good or bad for the sport, I don't know that it necessarily matters. I know I think it's where the sport has been heading for over a decade now, and we're finally just now here, and we're seeing the pendulum swing, the power pendulum in college football swing from you know a decade, two decades ago, college football coaches held all of the power. I mean, they had to release you from their scholarships. You couldn't, they could, you know, say what schools you couldn't, couldn't go to. And now it's swung toward players where they, they have the power to leave whenever they want to. They can have a media eligibility once in their career. And all on top of all of that, they can kind of try to do the NBA thing and build their own super teams if they, if they have, you know, relationships with buddies at schools that aren't doing well. It's an interesting uh, change in dynamics that I think coaches are are trying to wrap their head around and hoping uh, there's some stability that comes into the picture over the next few years. So complexion of football teams can and probably will change dramatically from year to year. Absolutely. I mean, the process of roster management right now is incredibly complex because there is that threat that any player on your roster could leave. I talked to a SEC assistant coach who, who estimated that at 50 to 55 percent of his roster, they have to continually recruit because they want to be sure that they can retain them. I mean, that's a huge number that they're doing. They're having to worry about on top of the players they're trying to bring in every single year in a signing class. So yes, your complexity can change overnight. I mean, you you, you look at the no, there's no cap on the number of transfers you can bring in. So you can be you look at what uh, Spavital has done at Texas State and just gone all in on the transfer portal. There's nothing to stop coaches from, from doing that and, and being really creative. So, yeah, it, it can be a chosen type thing or it can be like a Tennessee type thing where there's a coaching change and then suddenly every player you thought you might be able to have as a new coach has said, see you later, I'm going somewhere else. It's, it's created a wholesale change. Um, maybe not on the level that you see in college basketball where three, four, five players in your starting five can change every single year. But it's, 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 it's getting to a high level in college football that's making a lot of coaches, uh, I think, pretty nervous. To me, Alex, it's almost like 
every coach knows this is happening, but even if if you want to you have the best of intentions for your team or your school, your hand is almost forced that you have to do the same thing or you're going to get left behind. Exactly. There's a there's a mixture of frustration and resignation when it comes to this because you know, we all know the realities of recruiting. There is always been is has and always will be a shady element to that because that is the backbone of college football. It's bringing in talent. You can be as good a coach as you want. You have to have the talent in order to win. And to do that, you have to play within the framework of how sport works. You notice I didn't say the framework of the rules. Mm -hmm. I said how the sport actually works. And that's where the tampering piece comes in because none of these coaches like it. Nobody wants to have to recruit 50 to 55% of their own roster every year. No one wants to worry about once they've got the kid to commit, got the kid to sign, they're developing him, things are going well, and they have to, you know, they have the threat of losing him. They don't want to have to deal with that. But the reality is now that there is that option out there. There, The reality is there's enough coaches who are talking to third parties, whether it's high school coach, former high school coaches, uh, mentors, trainers, seven-on-seven coaches, you know, un- third uncles, whatever you want to call it. They're making those calls and laying the groundwork to where that's a, an avenue for talent. And if you're not mining that avenue of talent, you're going to fall behind. So there's, again, that recognition that an elite player, a difference maker, you need to get out ahead of. So whether you like it or not, uh, a lot of these coaches, not all, a lot of these coaches are going to find themselves in a position where they're going to have to grin and bear it and play the game. And, and there's – no real way to police this, is there? <laughs> that's the that's the. There's a twofold way of looking at it. There, there's one which is the coaches who are very frustrated about the lack of enforcement and when it comes to the rules from the NCAA. They bring up the fact that there are coaches, basketball coaches, who are on FBI wiretaps that are years old, who are still active and not been punished by the NCAA, and the message that sends about a lack of enforcement from the NCAA on there. But you have to take that with a grain of salt because it is hard to enforce. It's difficult, if not impossible, if you're doing it, you know, in an effective sort of way to get caught. Because if you're not being frankly stupid, as an assistant coach, you're not directly contacting a player. What you're doing is you're either having a player on your team make that uh, introduction or you know signal the interest in a transfer which isn't quite legal but you can't prove it because you don't know whether it was at the behest of a coach or the player doing it on its own or there's the high school coach angle which when you really think about it you know you uh, an assistant coach in college can talk to a high school coach as much as he wants about players who are coming up on his team high school players he wants to recruit there's nothing to say at the end of that conversation hey, I know Joe Smith went to State University. We really liked him. Is he happy there? It doesn't seem like he's getting the playing time. We'd be really interested. What do you think? That's not supposed to happen, but there's nothing to – there's no smoking gun there because there are three parties involved in that. There's the player who's not going to say anything because he doesn't want his eligibility compromised. There's the college coach who doesn't want to get in trouble with anybody. And there's the high school coach who needs to maintain good relationships. So if none of those three pieces in the chain is broken, there's no smoking gun. So 
yes, that's a long way of saying enforcement is very difficult because there's plausible deniability in the vast majority of these conversations. In your research, are you finding that coaches are going after just, we're going to go identify great athletes, or are they basically recruiting slash tampering based off a need? I need a corner. Let's go find a corner. So how's it working? Uh, the answer to that is yes. It's kind of like the NFL draft, right? The NFL draft, there's that whole uh, mindset of do you take the best player available or do you take the player you need. So it varies from coach to coach and roster to roster. A lot of schools have schemes, whether on offense or defense, that are very narrowly tailored to the type of athlete or more free form as far as what the athlete, you know, who's the most athletic, get them on the field. So there's a little bit of a mixture there. But it's targeted. A lot of schools right now are trying to figure out how many transfers do we want to take every year. A lot of schools I talked to said, look, you know, we're going to be very selective, maybe four or five roster spots, and we're going to see who we need to get in terms of who leaves for the NFL. Maybe there's a transfer we see coming on our own roster, and we're going to have to replenish there. But as I said, there are some schools that are going full bore into it, too, and just deciding we're going to take who's the best available and restructure our roster, rebuild it every single year. So I think right now it's sort of TBD in terms of what the average is or what the most you know common scenario is, because right now on top of all of this, we have that extra year of eligibility that goes along with the COVID year and the, the fact that they haven't changed the scholarship numbers in terms of 25 initial scholarships. So there's kind of a log jam there. Once we clear a couple more years, I think we'll start to see the picture in terms of what the average, how many Ross, how many transfers do I take each year? We'll start to see that more come into view, I think, in a couple of years. Is there any comparison or how would you compare this to what we saw unfold in the Southwest Conference in the 80s? And is it going to take, you know, if a team gets caught saying, well, you're not allowed any scholarships this year and kind of essentially putting them on a death penalty before we straighten this out? It's interesting you put it that way because I was talking to Todd Barry, who's the executive director of the American Football Coaches Association. So when he speaks, he speaks for a lot of football coaches. And he said, look, Right now, we're at a very difficult place because coaches, on the whole, want very harsh penalties for this. He said they want coaches, if they're caught, to sit out five years. They don't want them to be able to coach because coaches don't want that threat of poaching. They think it's wrong. But at the same time, there's an acknowledgement that where we're headed right now, this is Perry telling me this, is with the transfer portal, with the one-time waiver, and the NIL coming down the path, he sees a world in which every player in college, in major college football, at one point puts their name in the transfer portal, whether seeking more playing time or more money. And his fear is that it's going to create complications and create a cheating at the level of the 70s and 80s in college football, when every program, it seemed like, was going on probation. Uh, so there's a concern there. Is that a doomsday scenario? Maybe so. It, do things stabilize in the next few years when roster management starts to become a little bit more normalized? Maybe so, but that fear of the unknown and the just vast overall uh, uh, changing of rosters and the way that's inherently going to incentivize coaches going out and getting the best players and maybe bending the rules, 
it could have a vast unintended consequence. Alex, man, uh, we we do appreciate it. Uh, great insight on on this subject. It's it's a tough subject to say the least, but uh, man, we do appreciate your time today. My pleasure. Thank you. Talk to you soon. That is Alex Scarborough from ESPN.com.